welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. How many of you glad that you get a chance to just lift him up? Some of you act like you've been waiting to get here just so you can get in the midst of the body and just lift up the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. 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 We got two more of these. I love y'all, but uh, we got two more of these coming up. And so, amen. We magnify and glorify the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. How many of you believe he's worthy to be praised? Amen. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thankful today and honored today for all that God is up to in our our ministry. Aren't you glad that God is active in our ministry? Amen. Thank you all for um, those of you who constantly invest time, talent, treasure, lifestyle, everything here. Also want to thank the Lord for everything that happened yesterday at the debate. Um, Amen. Amen. Um, several things happened. It was, it was wonderful uh, to partner with King. Um, thank um, Brother Bashad for the King movement and what they have invested in helping do this on a regular basis. King movement is a movement that's all over the country, a men's movement in different cities and chapters. So we thank God for what they are doing to do that. Uh, so many highlights from yesterday. Um, um, the Kemetic community finally know that Christians aren't stupid. That's number one. Amen. <laughs> um, but one of the things that, um, that I, I felt the impression of um, is the Bible never says that they'll know you by their knowledge. And um, even though the knowledge was great, one of the things that I know they experienced yesterday was the love of God's people. Um, it was a comedic guy, you know, he had on his... His, you know, I don't know if it was a phoenix. I don't know what it was. A phoenix around his neck with a white jacket on and a and a ma'at dashiki or something. And uh, I don't know. I don't know to read if he had on grand bobos. I don't know what he had on, sister. Um, <laughs> but she you know what I'm talking about. So he ended up. He was. He asked a kind of hostile question. He was a little hostile. Afterwards, um, he started talking to me. And so he said, "You remember my question? You know, trying to be all ice grillish." And um. I know that's not a word, but it's street, and then a made-up word from a street slang word, which makes it a double non-word, but it's okay. Um, and we started chopping it up a little bit, and as I began to talk to him about my, one of my best friends growing up, they got killed uh, in D.C. years ago, and had the same name as he did. He said, I don't want to end on this note, and he ended up asking for prayer. I was like, oh, you want prayer? God, in the name of Jesus, I come over him and I come again. Listen. Break every stronghold in his life. I was saying that and, you know, and that wasn't to condemn him. But you asked me for prayer. I'm not going to pray in their name. I'm not going to talk about in the name you know, in your, in the mighty name of Jesus and um and what was interesting is that's why I know 
it's spiritual warfare. It's not just verbal warfare. That, that's a part of it. Um, but you gotta, we always have to remember the weapons of our warfare aren't carnal, but they are divinely powered for the destruction of fortresses. And thank everybody for their prayer. That won't be the last one that we do because I think it's very um, good for us now. Somebody would say, why do y'all do debates? The Bible says um, don't debate. The Bible does not say don't debate. It says don't be involved in foolish debates. Then it gives you the specific things that you don't debate. So, um, and so, the, the, but would you, what would you say what Paul was doing at the Areopagus? So we can go on and on and on about that. But I was very, very encouraged by that and thank the Lord for his work. So it wasn't a work of Eric Mason. It wasn't a work of Chris Bashad. It was a work of the Lord Jesus Christ yesterday doing his work to help and change and transform people. Stand to your feet. We're still in our new series, Core Convictions. Somebody say Core Convictions. <laughs> core Convictions. Um, we want to um, go ahead and dig in today because we have a ton of ground to cover today. And so we want to maximize and make the most of this time. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. One, two, three, read. Amen. Our title for today's message is community. Somebody say community. 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 Experiencing a place of belonging. That's what we want to talk about today. Somebody say experiencing, experiencing. A, place a place of belonging. belonging. Father God, we um, stretch our souls to you. You have called us to be a community of communities. And so God, I pray that you would... I've... I've talked about this before, not in the way we're talking about it today. <clears throat> and Lord, I want it to be more than just something people put in their Instagram stories. Um, I want the sermon to be more than just something people post on the internet. I'm praying that it would attach to their souls and be a part of our DNA and matrix of our life. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, our God, our strength, and our Redeemer in whom we trust. And help us not to be hearers of the word, deceiving ourselves, but help us to be effectual doers. <clears throat> in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Community experiencing a place of belonging. Uh, as I think about this topic, I don't even know if I'm going to even finish this today because it's a lot of ground to cover in more than usual in this sermon, I, I have a pretty lengthy introduction. Um, usually, you know, I like to get to the text at hand very, very quickly, but I think uh, it would do us a disservice to just do that. Um, as I think about um, the idea of community and when I think about the church, one of the things that comes to mind is a narrative that we hear a lot is church hurt. You hear a lot about church hurt as a major factor in 
people being de-churched, unchurched, or in church and not really connected to the people in the church. And even yesterday, as I was at the event, many of us were at the event, uh, but behind many people's uh, 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 issues with the church is not um, merely it being the white man's religion. That's, that's kind of like a, a fog to me. At, you know, it's a piece of it, but it's a part of it. It's, it's, in other words, a lot of times the thing that the pers- people put up front as the reason why is not really the reason why. Sometimes it's embedded in some inferential hurt. And what they do is they put on top of it some intellectual fallacy as a mechanism to not deal with the hurt that they actually need to deal with. Um, Because I don't know what it is about church hurt. Church hurt is worse than family hurt. I don't know why. Your family hurts you, you know, you'll still go to the family reunion. You know, you will. The church hurts you, you know, we don't, we don't know when we've seen you, right? Um, and there are a lot of complexities, particularly with the way this generation operates. Um, one of the things that community should do is help us to be more effectively rooted in the gospel. This is one of the most goal-oriented generations that I've ever experienced, particularly because I get the awesome opportunity <laughs> of pastoring Gen Z and millennials. I, I, I love that. I mean, I know we got some seasoned saints here, um, but the majority of our church is are, are those under the age of 35, 18 to 35. And so one of the things that I, I hear a lot about are dreams. One of the, I hear a lot about visions and aspirations. And one of the things that constantly concerns me are the DMs and the emails I get after people transition from Epiphany. Now, and I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about bad transitions. Most of our transitions here are good transitions. And I'll talk about this next week when I talk about commitment, when we talk about being a transient church. But one of the things that concerns me because of the goal orientation is that spirituality is thought of second to career. Um, spirituality and being stable is thought second to Some people say, well, it's a part of it. I I would beg to differ because usually after someone transitions from Epiphany, when they've already made the decision, which, again, we're not talking about trying to keep people here. The concern is what I hear. What I hear second is, oh, and can you recommend any churches? So in my mind, as a shepherd, I'm a bit confused because as a shepherd, that's telling me that you made only a career decision and not a comprehensive spiritual decision because because you you're telling me that you're willing to go there to make money but not be there to be rooted and make sure that you have what you need to be rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ and I know this isn't popular because most pastors are telling you about your season they're telling you about your destiny but a destiny without community a destiny without the gospel is a nightmare and I'm concerned that all we do is make boss decisions now you're supposed to make servant decisions Help me today. And so I, I want put the chart up um, there for me, um, sis. I, I, I want to show you something. Your life should orbit your spiritual life. When people talk about John 10, 10, 
They talk about the life and life more abundantly a lot. But most of, the, most of the time, life abundantly is about the things or the outer circles. Life abundantly is never soul-centered. And when you live a, a non-soul-centered, non-Christ-centered life, what ends up happening is Jesus gets the scraps of your life. And so the way, and this is, this is a chart of John 15. I'm not going to get in that today. But Jesus gave them principles for their life on how to live an inside-out life. He starts with fruit bearing. We went over that a few weeks ago. And, and, and one of the things that your, your life's supposed to center on is first soul. This is not selfishness. Because if you're not where you need to be spiritually, family, church, and stuff you do in the world will never work. You might look successful, but you'll be drinking yourself to sleep every night. And so when we look at and when we deal with this idea of the need for the soul, you, you need to make soul moves, not boss moves. And so when we look at this, many times we make decisions based on the outer rim versus the inner rim. This is one article. I told y'all it's a bit of a lengthy introduction. Will y'all be patient with me today? Um, it's an article. It's called Transient Living Among Millennials. I'm going to read a little bit of it, if that's okay. It says, numerous studies have already demonstrated that moving frequently throughout one's childhood can have negative effects on overall well-being and satisfaction later on in life. But what about when the nomadic lifestyle continues into your adult life? Many millennials have adopted a nomadic tradition of moving to a new city or town every few years, months, or for some even weeks. The habit, and this is a secular article, that this habit could result from work-related forces or just a desire to see the world while one is still young and relatively uncommitted to other life responsibilities such as spouses or children. The independence that comes with young adulthood can be thrilling because you're finally on your own with minimal, albeit perhaps financial influence from your parents or guardians. Moreover, when you're constantly moving around or traveling, you have the opportunity to start new and fresh and even reinvent yourself. The article begins going on at talking about how this nomadic lifestyle uh, show, uh, causes you to have to restart relationships and community over and over and over again in a way that doesn't give you time enough to get to know people. People get to know you and that relationship and those relationships that you build help to strengthen you. One of the concerns is, and I'm not, please don't hear me beating anybody up. I'm not taking in, in, any information from somebody and putting it in the pulpit, but I, I, I get concerned at how transient we are as a church. Now, now, uh, we've probably been through 5,000 people because of whether school or work or, or, or coming out of the projects, different things. Praise God. My concern, though, is, is, is that now we need to begin to work through what does it mean for us to be rooted? And will we sacrifice money and opportunity for depth? Will we? So why am I saying this? Because... There's so many dynamics to this um, because community does a lot of things for us. And we come to a passage that I believe is going to help us through this. 
and help us to think through this in very, very strategic ways, still laying some foundation. The reason why community is important, number one, I'm still in the introduction. Um, God exists eternally in community. Genesis 1.26 says, let us make man in our likeness and image. So God himself is self-sufficient because he depends on himself. The three persons within the Godhead mutually have different roles but have the same essence and they relate to each other and work together and are satisfied with each other. Jesus needed community. When he got 30 years old, stay with me, he wasn't just seeking disciples to impact the world. He was seeking relationships. How do I know? Because he ate with them. He prayed with them. He, he, he spent the night over their homes. Look at the Gospels. When he was about to die on the cross, he, he didn't pray. because Jesus asked for prayer. Think about that. Jesus asked dudes he'd been riding with three years, pray for me. And he was mad when he didn't get the support he needed. Because even the Savior needed support to go to the cross. And because his community failed him, God had to send angels to him in the Garden of Gethsemane to minister to him. It's in the Bible. Because even Jesus in his humanity needed community encouragement to pick up the cross. If he needed encouragement to pick up his cross, how much more do we in our everyday life need encouragement from people in our life to pick? Is anybody hearing me today? <laughs> um, Jesus in John 17 prays that we would be community, that we would be one. Jesus died, John 10, 16, for us to be community. So the reason why we are connected to each other cross-ethnically is not because we already decided that we wanted to reconcile with each other. It started with Jesus Christ. Some of my black nationalists in here would not sit beside a white person if Jesus didn't die on the cross. Amen, lights and walls. Some of my light-skinned siblings wouldn't be in this church listening to a black man in the pulpit if it was not for the gospel. I'm by myself. But there is an anti-community in the Bible. Oh, help me, God. The anti-community is in Genesis chapter 11, verses 3 and 4. It says the exact same, they say the exact same thing that God said to himself in Genesis 1:26 At the Tower of Babel, just like God said, let us in community with himself make man, and, and I like this in our image, in Genesis he, they say, come let us build. Come let us make for ourselves. Come let us make a name for ourselves. So anti-community many times will try to seek, because it'll try to seek community without God and seek its own vision and personal goals without taking it to the divine editor as a disposition of their life. And so here we see anti-community Versus biblical community, because the fall didn't teach, didn't stop us from thinking we needed relationships. We just sought relationships on our own terms because God wasn't in our life anymore. When you get saved, you are now restored to your ability to see community correctly through the gospel. <laughs> now, 
I, I, I got more introduction, but I, I'm going to put this last thing up and then I'm going to get in this text. Reasons, put up there for me, sis, reasons why people don't commit to biblical community. Number one, church hurt. Number two, expect for people to pursue them. Unhealthy picture of relationships. Isolationism. Fear of being known. <laughs> I'm going to go through every last one of these. Want position but don't want to engage people. When somebody come here and tell me they license and all of that, I don't care. You, you can't talk to people you don't know. Stingy. And I'm not just talking about financially stingy. Not, we're going to talk about it next week. Non-servant stingy. Are you stingy. See the church as an event. One of the things that I'm concerned about the new church that are popping up is it's event-based. And then it, you have multiple locations and people go to the event, but the community aspect doesn't go deep. Because everybody needs to be in lasers. And, and I'm not hating on stage ministry, but some of it is, like, I'm, I'm just telling y'all, I'm not going to overemphasize keeping you here through, I mean, you ain't going to see me doing a backflip and driving a Bentley on stage and a Harley and all that. I'm just, now, if whoever do that, God bless them. I'm not blasting nobody, but, like, all of that's some, some circus stuff to me. Like, I'm just being honest. I'm straight hood, dude. Anyway, <laughs> like, see the building as the church. See the building as the church. Living on one's, in, one, in one's head, rather. Want the church to persist in their personal sacred cows. In other words, do your church do this? And you know what I hear when I hear that? If you don't do what I'm wanting the church to do, I won't be here. I don't care. Like, I'm getting old. I'm almost 50. So I'm starting to get Tourette's. I love people. but And I'm not trying to act mean. Please don't hear this as mean-spirited. It, it, the disposition is like, it, we've been here long enough. And it's time for you to become spiritual adults in how you relate to the church. Help me, God. <clears throat> Wanting to feel welcomed, nothing wrong with that. But what if you don't? <laughs> Not knowing where to begin. These, these are good reasons, though, right here. Church lacking clear connection points. That's, 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 that, those are very good reasons. Leadership is non-relational and models distance from members. That happens, too. People are overworked, right? Fear of being taken advantage of. These are very valid reasons right here. Church feels too large. Church feels cliquish. I'm done with that. So these are some reasons why that happens now. How do we begin building this? Well, in Acts, Peter preaches to 3,000 people in one day. I mean, more than 3,000. I mean, thousands of people. Three Gs come to Jesus on a day. And immediately, you got 120 people who were believers in the upper room now have to divide the church among 3,000 people, which is about, somebody do the math for me. That's how many people for discipleship community, discipleship communities that you have to, to disciple 3,000 people. And so in light of that reality, immediately, What's interesting is they didn't have a church building. They didn't have new members class. 
They didn't have any of the things that we have, but they began the lifestyle of community without all of the lights, camera, action. So here we go. Relational connection is intentional work driven by the gospel. That's the big idea, and I got a few points under that. Relational connection is intentional. Somebody say intentional. You're going to see throughout this text that it's intentional and that it's driven by the gospel. So several things under this. First off, they were devoted to Christ and his work. Look at verse 42. It says right here, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayer. You see four categories there. The four categories you see that automatically started happening when a church came into existence in order to build community, and that you and I need these four categories. You need, number one, repeat after me, discipleship, Discipleship. fellowship, Fellowship. worship, Worship. and prayer. prayer. Let's say it again. Discipleship, Discipleship. fellowship, Fellowship. worship, Worship. and prayer. prayer. Pull that off. Yeah, and so... One of the things that's very, very important for us to understand is when we talk about discipleship, you need to be under, you need to be under biblical teaching. Biblical teaching. Now, the issue is, is there was biblical teaching, but there was devotion to it. That, that That means the people were committed to what was being said to apply it immediately, as the as immediately as they could. And so when we talk about this idea of walking in active devotion, it's a beautiful idea in the Bible as we talk about biblical discipleship because basically they began teaching God's people what Jesus' teachings were and what Jesus' commands were. Now, that doesn't mean you're made righteous by the commands. Because you're righteous, you keep Christ's commands. Let me say that again. You You don't do righteous acts to be accepted. You obey because you're accepted. So because you're accepted, you live in light of that obedience in your everyday life as a believer. And so they devoted themselves to the application of those things. That means doctrinal teaching and biblical theology. People cross-eyed now. Topical teaching, engaging felt needs, addressing Christian worldview, concerns in the world. That's what we have to do in culture and in politics and in art and current events and injustice. We have to... The, the church has to engage all of those issues. And so a part of community is actually being discipled and getting the right, solid, healthy t- uh, information. When we go through First and Second Timothy and Titus, we're going to go through those simultaneously, not simultaneously, but in a row, we're going to go straight through those three books. It's our next book series. <clears throat> is we're going to see how much Paul tells Timothy and Titus to teach and how important it is for you to have in- inspiration and exposition. Oh, I'm preaching right there. Y'all don't even know it yet. You need both exposition and inspiration. Exposition exposes to you what scripture says. Inspiration is the gravy to make you happy about the exposition. You shouldn't reverse that and have all gravy and no steak. Listen, matter of fact, like, the, like in preacher circles, this is what we say, a good steak will make its own gravy. <laughs> so if you, if you get good meat and steak and get that thing broke down well, see, a good steak, even though it's meat, should cut like butter. 
I'm preaching right there. And so when you see here in the text, as they begin to do this, people were able to devote themselves to it because the teaching was deep, but it was also clear. And so that's what you need to put yourself around. This is how you make those judgments where community is going to take place. Why? Because discipleship, discipleship in, 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 through preaching and teaching <clears throat> sets the content of the DNA of everything else in the spiritual community. And if the pulpit is out of whack, the, if the pew, and listen, if the, if the pulpit can't see, the, the Lord have mercy. The pew gone somewhere, the blind leading the blind. And so that means that you as a community aren't a stupid community. You should be, I'm going to make up a word based on a biblical word, Berianic. You should be, you should, listen, pastor say something stupid. Talk, jam me up about it. Now be respectful, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> be respectful, don't be, don't get swole on me, all right. <laughs> fellowship, somebody say fellowship. fellowship. Said they were, it says here that these are, they were devoted to the teaching of the apostles, but they were also devoted to fellowship. The idea of fellowship or community is very, very important because it, listen to what this word means. It means the act of sharing in the activities or privileges of an intimate association or group, especially in churches. I love this, the way this John breaks it down. It says to give and to share. Mm. It means, that community means, you don't come to be engaged. Everybody in community are supposed to come at, as mutual and engaging agents. You know, it, it's nothing worse than coming before the people of God and seeing on people's face like you're at a concert. Thrill me. I dare you. And I'm not going to give you no, no type of love until you do everything I need you to do to let me know whether or not I should be. No, that's not the spirit. The spirit of Christianity is coming eagerly to want to love and serve other brothers and sisters. And when you run into that, you'll automatically get the mutuality of both. The community, the community means to partner. That means I link up with you, you link up with me. And we connect together in order to impact the world for Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about this reality of community and connecting and being connected to one another and participating. See, the key to understanding biblical fellowship is that it involves mutuality between believers. This is not a one-way philosophy family of God, but it is a philosophy of mutuality. Um, you know, um, one of the things that a person will say sometimes, hey, I haven't been, nobody, I left and I haven't been here and nobody engaged me. Then I ask a few questions, because I want to make sure as a pastor, we, you know, boom. What small group you're a part of? Well, now, who do, you, who, who do you regularly connect with from church? Well, have you been to an outreach? Well, and as you begin to go down the line of things, there's a disconnect. There are times when the church makes errors in our connectivity to make sure that people are loved. There are times on the other side 
where people expect osmionic relationships to just come out of thin air for us to, ooh, I know your name and I know what you're dealing with and going through and I want to reach out to you. No, being a part of community is being known in such a way and your presence being felt so much. That's not talking about being at church all the time and being around Christians all the time. That's not what community is. That's called a cult. We're not talking about communalism, where everybody got to live in the same place, eat the same food, and share all their resources. That's not what biblical community is. Like, sharing a resource is a choice. So when we look at this idea of the beauty of community, the beauty of Christian community is seen in this text. Because then they begin fleshing it out in a second. Then we see breaking a prayer, worship, breaking a prayer, a worship. And then we see prayer there connecting with one another for the development of one another's spiritual life, which I love. Next point, anticipation of God's miraculous ministry. Community has an anticipation of God's miraculous ministry. Look what it says. It says, everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and signs were being performed. No, we need to be seeing in the church, in good community. We need to see people getting delivered from stuff. We, we, need, we need to see people constantly, God just freeing people from bondages. <clears throat> Those are the miraculous things that, that we want to see. People coming off, not just drugs, coming off of porn, coming off of serial dating. other things. Growth. Growth, do you know growth is a miracle? Let me, uh, uh, please stay with me. As stubborn as all of us are, me included, for you to grow in any area of your life is a miracle. We need to see that happening. Conversions happening. We'll talk about that in our last core value, uh, in our, uh, our fourth core value. Peacemaking. Oh God. Do you know peacemaking between Christians is a miracle? Now, I'm going to give you this for free. Forgiveness is not giving just forgiveness. For biblical forgiveness based on the gospel is when a person acknowledges their sin to God and asks God for their forgiveness based on an agreed upon breakage in that particular fellowship. That means in biblical relationships with one another, saying you forgive someone without them acknowledging their sin doesn't cause reconciliation because they don't agree that a breach is there. So in order for biblical peacemaking to happen as the miracle that it is, guess what? There needs to be an admission of the breach and a covering of it by the blood and a firm repentance and a commitment to crush the beef. That's a, now let me tell you something though. All my grudge holders, that's a miracle. Because many of us, when we get salty enough, we done. We have the, we have the cut off international anointing. <laughs> cut you off. I ain't dealing with them no more. But when you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit tells you, what if I cut you off? Then guess what you got to do? You got to go engage that person in love and crush the beef. Many people <clears throat> leave churches based on having a bad habit of not seeking peace. And so what happens is, is you keep going places and building relationships with people that you think is going to be a utopia. And I'm telling you that community isn't a utopia. Community is messy. 
and painful. And the miracle of God's work is to bring us together. Supernatural provision they saw here. Not only that, they saw people turning from sin, victory in spiritual warfare. So they, they, they were seeing miraculous things happen among you through the hands of the apostles. I see miracles as very, very broad. Next thing. I'm almost done. Generosity in meeting needs. Generosity. Somebody say generosity. generosity. 44, verse 44. He says, now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They were together. I like that they were together. Which them being together points to an idea of trust. Points to the idea of them trusting and being among one another. Then it says they sold their property. Some of y'all looking like, see, this was the old, te- ain't this the old testament? <laughs> oh God, I saw some of y'all faces. Um, and property. Distributed the needs to all as any had need. Now, this is not commanding you to sell everything. Somebody say, whew. <laughs> But what it is saying is, is this, let me just give you quick hermeneutics. In a book like this, truth is inferentially laid out, and there's something called prescriptive and descriptive. Descriptive describes what happens. Prescription is a command. Here it's describing what's happening so that you can see the principle of generosity in the life of people. I'm helping somebody right now. <clears throat> so now guess what we need? Generosity. Let me say that again. Generosity. Not, that's why we read us not giving under compulsion at the church. Um, because we, we don't want you giving under compulsion, but we do want you giving generously. And so that means, and that, that means here, we, believe, we, we don't believe the tithe is a rule of life. We believe that we owe God everything. So what we believe is it's a good starting point, but it's not commanded in the New Testament. I know that that kind of destroys things. Like, I should be telling you right now that your car's gonna break down if you don't give, right? <laughs> All that stupid stuff. We want, we want other curses of the law, don't want, you know, but that one we will take in order to get financial gain. A lot of preachers are disingenuous in that. All the Bible says in the New Testament, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. Don't expect God to boomerang some resources your way if you don't give. That's it. So the, the, the point of this is, we should be a generous community making sure that people's needs get met and our community is engaged. We should so communally love each other and engage one another that it becomes noticeable to lost people. And that they view being under the banner of the blood is not just a bunch of shouting and organs and drums, but it also means that, that, that they care enough for each other to sacrificially invest in one another in order that their lifestyle may change as well as their life would change. Then it goes and it says, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and they broke bread from house to house and they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. Look how they spent time with each other. Lastly, this is a simple sermon today. Lastly, reaching people is a natural outgrowth of the church's connection. I'm done. Just a natural outgrowth. Says, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. Where'd the favor come from? People watching how Christians treated each other. And people watching how Christians treated each other, they liked Christians even though they weren't Christians. And it says, every day, the Lord added to the number those who were being saved. And in the midst of that, 
Our generosity to one another and communal relationships with one another was open doors to share the gospel with other people. Real simple. So some examples of community here, and I'm done. I got like a minute. Um, the, I, I love to watch the 50 plus together. I, I love what, I love, you know, you know, it's funny, in an older church, there's mostly older people, you have a young adult ministry. Here we have a 50 plus ministry. Um, it's like the reverse. They were like, we start our own ministry, all these young folk, and they just started recruiting. And I love them, I, I love them for so, I just love to watch their pictures, love watching them hang out, love watching them love on each other. And um, what they've created will actually attract other older people to the church. Uh, because an older person used to come here, they'd be like, oh my God, what in the world? Did I walk into a youth ministry today, right? They say, I love what y'all are doing, but I'm going down to, to Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church. <laughs> they like, we ain't coming here at all. But what they've done is they, they've created a place of belonging among each other that allows someone who's older to, oh, oh, there y'all are. And, you know, how do y'all deal with being here? And they can begin telling their stories. I love that. Um, serving in ministry and building relationships while you're serving. Like, that, that's another way to build relationships while you're serving. When, when, when y'all see the, I've watched the church when the, when the, when the little uh, emails come up, nobody be writing them Jones down. I'll be like, somebody's going to do it. That's in our mind. But serve. Life groups is another way. Life groups, getting in life groups. People always say, do y'all have Bible study? I, I say we do, fourth Wednesdays, but most of the time we're trying to apply what we hear weekly through small groups. Some other practical ways. Sharing life's moments. Sharing life's moments. Going to weddings. Going to people's weddings, your friends' weddings. Going to funerals. Um, a single person that's here without their family. If they need a ride to the doctor, give them a ride. That's community. If they're sick and their mom isn't here or their mom has passed away, take them some chicken noodle soup. Make sure they have what they need. Come around them. Church isn't just built for marriages, it's also built for singles. <laughs> Somebody has a baby. Don't post their baby pic before they post it, but some of us just hurrying up for them likes, right? Um, but births, go to the hospital. Mama can't cook at that point in time. Come in their life. Help them say, I'll come watch the baby as long as you got a background check. And Yeah. Because you know that they're not getting any sleep at night. So I just say, I'll come over and I'll sit. I'll just sit, even if the baby's and you just go to sleep and take a nap. I'll give the bottle for a few hours and do whatever. Go to graduations together. Take some selfies together. Go out in Center City on Friday nights. Together. I say, go party, Pastor? Go party. <laughs> Responsibly. Together. I'm done. Father God, we thank you for the glory and beauty of community. Um,
<laughs> church is a beautiful thing. As messy as we are, it's a beautiful thing. Um, and Lord, I'm praying for us that we would just learn the practical things to just be in one another's life. Not one another's business, but one another's life. And Lord God, I pray that you would continue in very simple and non-intrusive ways that you would help us to learn how to build community. Jesus, I just remember you hanging out in Bethany and living in Bethany and living around Mary and Martha and Lazarus. That was your community. Those were your friends. Lazarus was one of your best friends. <laughs> um, you believed in friendship as a human. And um, you, like just very practical things that you showed us in your humanity that we need. So God, I pray that the church will realize that maybe today you haven't met the best friend that you could ever meet. That best friend is Jesus. Jesus is the friend that will see your sin and won't judge your sin. He'll cover it. He'll heal you from it. Deliver you from it. If you're here today, you've never met Christ as Savior. You've never met him as Savior. I would love to talk to you about what it means to go from spiritual disconnection from Jesus to spiritual connection to Jesus. If you're here today and you want to place your confidence in Jesus Christ, we'd love to talk to you about what it means for God's anger towards our sin to be satisfied through building a friendship with Jesus. How do you build a friendship with him? Put your confidence in what he did on the cross and getting up from the grave. That's you today. Hold your hand in the air. We'd love to talk to you about Jesus. Anyone, anyone, anyone that says, I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to place my confidence in him. I want to place my faith in him. The best decision that you can make is to build a relationship with the one who created everything. Is there anyone here today that wants to say yes to him? Amen. Let our men come and let's celebrate the Lord's death. The Lord's death is one of the most powerful, powerful, powerful ways to end our gathering because we get to focus on the symbol of why we're new. But also, while we're together, we're supposed to wait on one another. That's why we take communion together. So today, if you're in Christ, take the elements, the symbol of Christ's death. If you're not in Christ, let them pass. Instead of taking a symbol, take him as Savior, as we sing. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully, the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.